0: Hello, guys. Thanks for tuning in. It's Monday morning. It's an early ish recording of the NTT20 Monday podcast. And on the. Lo- no. <laughs> Sitting opposite me at a fair distance so that the spittle does not fly. George Ellick, how are you doing? Good to see you. Oh yeah,
1: I am good. It's quite weird, this. I feel like I got used to our Zoom existence. <laughs> yeah. And now being near you, I feel a bit. Yeah, a bit strange. <laughs>
0: I agree. We just made eye contact and it was actually quite awkward. Never so, again. <laughs> let's see how the pod <laughs> Should I go next door and then get on a Zoom call? It might be better if you go next door and we'll do this over the phone. Um, uh, w- I can't wait to start talking about the Championship weekend with you, but can't really ignore, ignore, ignore. as they say in France, can't ignore the oh. fact that uh, tonight is the League One playoff final. At an empty Wembley, I feel like I've asked you this quite a lot recently, how are you feeling, George? Because Oxford United have a chance to be in the Championship for the first time since I don't know when, but you'll tell me.
1: Well, we were last promoted in 1996 and spent two seasons in the old Division 1 before being relegated again, and that was very early on in my supporting Mm. existence, and probably being promoted when I was age like five or six was quite essential for me. Yeah. Um, changing forces from Blackburn Rovers to uh, <laughs> Oxford United. Um, so I, I feel are still kind of the same as what I said before the, the semis. It I don't think I feel as nervous as I would do if we had played 46 games because I still feel like we're, we're in a fortunate position to be in this position anyway. So you've got to be fairly happy about that. But then I hated every second of both semi-finals until it was all over because I was so nervous so I think I'll be fine my kind of pre-match nerves uh, are less but I think during the game it's going to be pretty miserable but very happy to be involved and not confident but I, I feel like the stylistic Um, differences between Oxford and Wickham should play into Oxford's hands a little bit more than than Pompey who kind of did everything they could to stop Oxford from playing.
0: That's what they want you to think in Wickham. (laughs) Look, we've been burned before by making predictions about most teams but certainly when it comes to Wickham Wanderers this season I'm not going to be making any predictions that may age very poorly in around 12 hours time. What I would say just from a Wickham perspective I think it's important to, to represent them this if they were to pull it off, if they were to win tonight, this would be one of the best achievements, one of the best stories, I think, that we've covered in, albeit only five years or so of doing this, but I'm sure if I extended that back, 10, 15, 20 years, 25 years, Wickham's potential promotion, if it happens, uh, would be one of the most amazing things uh, to have happened. We'll make sure that we talk about it in depth, uh, if we need to, if that is the case. Um, we did a League Two playoff final review podcast the morning after the game last week. We will wait and see how you're feeling tomorrow morning. I'd like to do one. We'll see if we can get you for 20 minutes on the phone, uh, depending... Well, not, not depending on what happens, whatever happens. So it, so it
1: might just be a bit later if we win.
0: Fine. So stay tuned for that. Um, it, it's nice to be together today. Let's crack into some championship chat. I mean, we're recording this just after 10 o'clock on, on Monday morning. The next round of fixtures starts at five o'clock on Tuesday, thick and fast, of course, at the moment in the championship. Next weekend will be the last weekend, which has really sprung up on me, the last weekend of of championship action for a while. Uh, And of course, the final day will be next midweek as well, which is gonna be very, very strange. Uh, The playoff final being on a Tuesday night will be very strange as well. But there are some huge fixtures in midweek, Cardiff against Derby, Wigan against Hull, West Brom against Fulham. Brentford against Preston. Everything is changing every three days here. But let's uh, give the weekend a good review. Let's whiz through the action starting at the top of the championship, George. And we will try and give an idea for anyone who was off comms this weekend of what the state of play is. Leeds are at the top of the division, George. On 84 points They're On 84, having been on 81 because they beat Swansea City very late on on Sunday. The goal being scored by former Swansea player Pablo Hernandez. What did you make of this game? What does it mean? What would you like to say about Leeds 1, Swansea 0?
1: I think, Ali, it means that Leeds are pretty much
0: up. On the brink?
1: I mean, yeah, I'd say over the brink. <laughs> Tumbling, falling, or I mean rising up towards the Premier League. It's very hard to see now with a six point gap with three games to go I mean you were asking for a hell of a lot here if you think the leads are going to are gonna, are gonna um, fall away from here and you know it wasn't a vintage Leeds performance by any stretch I think they deserve to win the game on the balance of play but as a Leeds fan you know if you're going to effectively secure promotion in any way possible to do so with a uh, a nine, you know an 89th minute winner from you know Pablo who's been the you know, if if Bielsa is kind of the master of this, then Pablo's the poster boy and he's somebody that Leeds fans will not need a, a second chance to, to tell you just how important he's been for them and how his quality has been so crucial. And we've seen that since the break in football as well. I feel like Pablo's introduction into Leeds games generally changes the course of them. Yeah. Normally, it means that Leeds go from being fairly dominant to being totally in control. And in this case, it turned it from being a stalemate into them being winning side and
0: i got some great stats on this by the way do it so i was i was playing around on the fb ref website mm. um, which is a new ish Stats website that I would recommend if anyone is into stats. It should go alongside your soccer stats and your transfer marked and your who scored. Uh, it should be bookmarked on your page. It's got amazing data uh, for the for the larger divisions across Europe, but it has got some interesting stuff when it comes to the championship as well. A lot of it is powered by StatsBomb as well, I should say, uh, with great friend of the pod Ted Knutson uh, giving up a lot of StatsBomb data to make FBref a really good website for stats. And on your point. Uh, they've got an interesting section which is kind of a throw over from basketball and basketball reference is their brother site it's a huge website for for Hoops fans Um, showing the points per game of individual players Um, I think a player has to have played for over 45 minutes in a match in order to sort of qualify for this stat um, on on a game by game basis so it's not just like oh if you come on with two minutes to go and your team wins you get three points so there are qualifiers uh, which mean you can sort of Trust in it a bit. And his points per game with Pablo is 2.15 points per game, which equates to 99 points over the course of the season. He's so far clear, not only of anyone else in the league, but of any other Leeds player as well. I think the next best is possibly uh, Mateus Click. Um, and Pablo just dwarfs him. They're so much better when Pablo plays. This is not news to anyone who watches Leeds, but I thought it was a nice way of, of hammering it home. They've also got a plus-minus stat, which again is generally a basketball stat. It's harder to do in, in football, but FB ref give it a go, basically showing the goal difference while a player is on the pitch. So Leeds' goal difference this season, when Pablo plays, is plus 1.29 per 90 minutes, which is absolutely unbelievable. The next best player in the Leeds team is Click, 0.85 per 90. So almost half a goal better per 90 minutes than any other player in this team. Pablo, as you say, he might not be the the owner, shall we say, if Bielsa is the owner of Bielsa's Leeds, but he's certainly the the CEO on the pitch. And he probably won't win Player of the Year as well because he's played 1,000 minutes less than Ben White, Calvin Phillips. I'm interested to know who you think, if Leeds do win the title, should or will be Player of the Year because uh, I'm, I don't think it will be Pablo, even though, as I think I've just explained, he is certainly the most valuable player on this team, but potentially it will be a Calvin Phillips, uh, I reckon, who wins the uh, Player of the Year, which is a, an interesting wrinkle. Uh, I thought Swansea took quite an interesting approach here. They played 3-5-2, which is something they've switched to recently, and there have been times where they've looked good in it, times where they've looked pretty poor in it, which kind of sums up their season in general, but they kept Brewster and IU really high up the pitch, Gallagher pressing high as well, supporting them. And the way they pressed did make it quite difficult for Leeds to sort of build attacks from the back. A lot of teams don't bother pressing them at all until basically their own defensive third. But those three did make it difficult for White and Cooper and Ayling um, to progress the ball. The problem Swansea had was, and this is the trade-off, once Leeds did play it past them, which happened a fair few times, it felt like they were sort of lacking the numbers in defence that, that you kind of need to keep them out. So even though it was a late goal that Pablo scored, Paddy Bamford, of course, could have had a couple before it went 1-0. Um, and congratulations to Leeds on a good victory. we we'll wait and see what happens in midweek. Uh, they're three points clear of West Brom, George. They opened up a larger gap because Baggies could only draw one all with Blackburn here. Uh, let's start with the positives. West Brom, they should have been further ahead because they started this game really, really well. And also what came out of this was a lovely tweet of yours, which I really enjoyed, about uh, Charlie Austin and Kravinovic and West Brom's first goal.
1: Yeah, um, you say starting with a positive. I, d- I think West Brom fans might disagree if it's positive or not because they should have been home and dry. Um, you are right, and you know we talk about the margins here, and we talk about a being over the brink, and West Brom's inability to put this game to bed um, means that they are they are nowhere near the brink now. They are <laughs> they are moving the wrong way. Um, yeah, my the, the Kravinovich goal was a was a lovely goal, and my tweet was just saying that it was one of those. If you didn't know who was playing the ball to who, you'd think it was Kravinovich into Austin because it was a lovely kind of deft, um, I say like chipped cross. Yeah. We can call it from Austin through to Kravinovich who ran, uh, rammed it home. But what happened after that was really strange, and not only uh, Joe Rothwell got the equaliser that was against the run of play at the time, but it was West Brom and just losing their heads mm. for the last 20 minutes that was the surprising thing here because whilst a draw obviously wasn't the preferred result a point was like infinitely better than than a loss here due to Brentford's you know better goal difference due to the fact that they every point now is basically a point closer to to promotion yet they played as if they needed to win the game in order to 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 stay in the race and that led to two very good chances for blackburn um, the first of which Davenport You've got to feel sorry for the for the young player who set through on goal, and I I think he basically just thinks to himself he takes it late. Johnson's made himself big, and he thinks Johnson's basically going to dive one way or the other, so he tries to lift it over him, and and Sam Johnson stands his ground and makes the save. Huge Johnston save, that yeah, a massive save, and I do think you know he it's one of those where he probably should have scored. We. But I don't know I don't think you can necessarily say he should have done better. He tried to do something to beat the keeper and it didn't work. Like he hit the target. Yeah. Um and then the second I'm not sure who it was who ended up having the back heel, but it was a, I think it was Holtby. It was a bonkers um it was a bonkers uh melee in the box and Holtby ended up having a back heeled effort from six yards, which actually beat Johnson, but semi Ajayi was on the goal line to to clear. Um and that you know, <sighs> There have been times in the last couple of weeks. I'd, I'd, I'd almost say, despite showing a level of dominance at times, now you think back to the 3-0 win against Sheffield Wednesday, but at the same time, West Brom were, the, were, the, you know, were second best for long parts of that game. You think to the Hull 4-2 game, yet twice they were ahead and let Hull come back into it. There have been moments in the last couple of weeks that, are red flags to me you look at Leeds who have been professional and very adept at handling the occasions and making sure they get um, over the line you look at Brentford who've won seven games on the bounce now who just seem to you know the one time they they fell somewhat was against Charlton and they worked their way back into the game despite Charlton defending resolutely with West Brom there have been more than one occasion where they have slipped a bit and this is the first time that it's cost them and it could have cost them even worse mm. And they've got now got a game against Fulham tomorrow who come into this defensively very, very sound. And it's going to be, I mean, it's, it's going to yeah. be an interesting market to see how they approach it because they have to, I think, not throw such caution to the wind.
0: I think that's the key point, isn't it? Is, is defensively, they are quite clearly not as good uh, currently as as Brentford and Leeds. And, and that's a, a bit Fulham. of an issue. I mean, I, I sat here last Monday and spoke about their game against Hull, which they won comfortably in the end 4-2. And spoke about the fact that at the start of the second half, it was like the same as the end of this game. They were so open and Hull, who are, we know, about the worst team in the division at the moment, sliced them open two or three times. That doesn't bode that well. And that's something that Brentford and Leeds don't do uh, currently at the moment uh, defensively. Now, the good thing for baggies is that they have such magnificent players going forward. I mean, you mentioned that it was a lovely goal between Kravinovic and Austin. You know, last week and in midweek, we're talking about Grosicki and De Garner and Matias Pereira. So they have got the players to make the difference, but they certainly are not as solid, uh, not as well structured uh, when they don't have the ball. And, and that is probably one of the things that's making things a little bit tense for them. And um, just to touch on Blackburn, shout out Tony Mowbray, who made four subs in the space of one minute, by which I mean two subs on the 60th minute, two on 61. Davenport on, Gallagher on, Rothwell on. Uh, three of them and and that really kicked them on and, and another thing we've always said is that five subs would suit the stronger teams with, with the deepest squad and mo- most quality on the bench and that's what you'd expect to have happened for West Brom that's what has happened in some of the previous games but it was the reverse here uh, and they really seemed to wilt while uh, while Rovers came alive so having not tested them at all up until about the 60th minute that goal when it came was so straightforward mm. it was played down the side to Gallagher a little cutback and Essentially, it came back to no one running back for West Brom as quickly as the Blackburn players were running forward. And that that's something that needs to be addressed. It would
1: addressed. be also just remiss of us not to give some credit to Blackburn here as well because I was certainly had them in that group of teams at mid-table whose season was over. Um, and they went to Cardiff, went behind twice and won that game 3-2. They've taken a point here and can feel aggrieved not to have got three points against a side going for promotion. Mm. Suddenly they're four points off the playoffs, and you wouldn't necessarily, given the fixtures they've got coming up, you wouldn't put it past them if they if they perform to the same level they have done over the last two games. You know they they could pick up nine points and that puts them on sixty nine. That and feels like the
0: big if, and not just for Blackburn. Of course, but any of those clubs in the outside playoffs bubble, we, we've said this about almost all of them at some point. If they could put together a run of three games like this, then they'll be in, and none of them ever seem to.
1: No, they're not, and that they're. they're you can't really have much faith in any side. You know, you look down there now, Cardiff really struggling the last couple of games. Preston, one win in their last 11 or 10, I think it is. Derby back-to-back defeats. Bristol City, well, they've won two games since Lee Johnson's made way, but you wouldn't really want to hang your hat on that being the case going forward. I mean, Blackburn probably probably the form side. I mean, it's, it's only it's such a small sample size, it's hard to say. It's, it, it feels to me... And this is really important as well and comes into the the West Brom-Fulham game tomorrow. Third place is a massive advantage here. Like Whoever just misses out on on automatic promotion, whether that's West Brom, Brentford or Fulham, whoever finishes third is going to... The one way of looking at it is, well, whoever gets into that group is going to have to be the best team out of that four or five set in order to get there. But there's a massive quality gap between those teams I've just mentioned and those chasing, in my opinion. And so mean, it's important for Fulham. Fulham go into the game tomorrow thinking they've got a chance of chasing down West Brom. Fine, and that is true. But just as important for me is that they've got to try and chase down third because coming up against Forest as opposed to one of those other ones is a big advantage
0: any West Brom negativity could be blown away if they are to get a big result against Fulham in midweek and yeah just a message to the Baggies fans you have the three point gap that's a huge advantage with three games to go you also have some magnificent football players who are capable of of winning you games even if that defence sometimes looks a little shakier than your rivals so um, still very much in West Brom's hands Brentford putting the pressure on um, could probably copy and paste a lot of what we said over the last few weeks about Brentford It's, it's six wins in a row since the restart um, their first goal against Derby early on was all creativity, slick passing and movement off the ball. It was too good for the Derby back line, to be honest, and Watkins tapped in after Mbormo hit the post. Having said that, and you cannot expect constant high performance levels when you're having to play every two and a half days, but there was a, a period after that goal for the rest of the first half where Derby grew into the game and deserved their equaliser when it came. Uh, a nice set up from Rooney to the youngster Jason Knight. And who knows what would have happened, George, if uh, Ben Hamer had not had something of a howler in goal after, after 50 minutes. Because it, it wasn't cut and dried at that stage. I mean, Brentford are so strong in the second half. They're an amazing second half team. 40 goals for and just 16 against this season. But Derby's hard work in getting back level, sadly, was undermined somewhat by a dodgy goalkeeper, which there are a few teams in this division and a few goalkeepers we've spoken about trying not to be too overly negative who just really do make it tough for the players in front of them?
1: I find it very strange that Derby County, given the way that they've recruited managers in the last two years, given the way they've recruited England's record goal scorer, um, it just seems amazing that we are two years into, or well, two seasons in, basically, since Frank Lampard came to the club and Philip Cock, who's come in since, and they haven't just signed a good goalkeeper. Um, because we've been through Scott Carson, Keller Roos, and now Ben Hamer. And I don't think anybody, except for possibly Carson at the start, nobody expected Roos to be good enough. Nobody really thinks Hamer's a good enough keeper. And if you have aspirations to get promoted, it's all well and good having a future England player in Louis Sibley and a former England player in Wayne Rooney and all these other academy grads. And you know Matt Clark, one of the best ball-playing centre-backs in the league. But if you've got a keeper who isn't up to the task, then... You know, it's very, very difficult. I don't think there's a massive... I don't think it's a coincidence that Brentford... I know that David Raya probably should have saved um, Jason Knight's shot here. Um, But I don't think it's a coincidence that they have upgraded goalkeeper and their um, defensive record has improved markedly this season. So it's a a massive failing, in my opinion, from the Derby recruitment team. Uh, This game reminded me a little bit of the... I mean, a very different result... But it reminded me of the Cardiff-Leeds game from the first game back from from lockdown where Brentford quite clearly weren't at their best. Um, A few kind of stray passes here and there, a couple of occasions where they just didn't look quite as sharp except for, you know, they had to rely initially on Ben Hamer's um, poor goalkeeping and then on some individual quality from side Ben Rama. But... They were still the dominant force in the, in the game. They were still undoubtedly the better team. They showed their quality over Derby. And I think Derby have had a bit of a rude awakening over the past couple of games to, to show that, you know, for all of their their good play, they're still just lacking in a little bit of quality. And it's mm. not surprising that given how many academy grads they have. And it still wouldn't surprise me if they put a couple of good results together here. Um, but this was this was aside in Brentford who have been at their best, not at their best, but still getting over the line and winning. Um, and I don't think we're going to see many more performances from Brentford. Like, I mean, there's only three games to go. Um, we've only got a week, a week tomorrow it all ends. Wow. Um, but I think this was Brentford not getting away with one, but just getting three points when when they weren't necessarily really clicking.
0: Yeah, Ben Ramos had had some week, a hat-trick last weekend against Wigan. He then dragged Brentford back from, from a 1-0 deficit to win against Charlton, uh, both winning and scoring a penalty to level it up. And now this, uh, the second goal, helping hand from Ben Hamer, and then his second goal, Brentford's third, just sensational. A real out-of-your-seat moment. And we've had plenty of them. 17 goals Ben Ramer scored this season. And he Um, he
1: didn't even play for the first six weeks.
0: And he didn't even play for the first six weeks.
1: Mention as well for someone that you and I have maybe not been as excited about as some others. uh, Josh Silver's pass for the first goal
0: was sexual. Guess what? That plus minus per 90 stat that yes. i brought out earlier which is 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 it, it doesn't flow off the tongue and therefore it's probably not one to bring up constantly on these pods but i just wanted to because i saw it pablo mars clear the second best player in the league for plus 90 per 90 is sorry plus minus per 90 is josh de silva um when who, he, who when he that plays badly on plus 1.19 per 90 well he wasn't established until about october as well yeah, so it's kind that's of that's true um, it, it's. It's. I don't think it necessarily just, when don't Sha- have to reflect badly when Shandon
1: starts coming in for him then that's going to it. sure
0: so. <laughs> uh, and Pontus Janssen to go back to the points per game for individual players stat second best in the league behind Pablo on 2.15 Janssen 2.03 per game the, the second best in the league for individual players um, and yeah I, I don't think the Derby playoff dream has died because if they beat Cardiff They'll go level on points with them, albeit with a a worse goal difference unless they win three or four nil. Um, But clearly, they're they're not good enough against the very top teams. Um, And I also want to point out that's not not a huge failing. It's not something to get angry about if you're a Derby fan. We spoke last week about how at this stage of the season, when you're close to the playoffs, when there's something to aspire to and there's hope, that increases frustration when there's poor results. And that's completely understandable. That is an emotional reaction. Um, but I do think it, it shouldn't necessarily, you know, trigger happy reactions uh, uh, in, in a negative sense can sometimes not necessarily be the right thing. Um, and it would not be a failure basically of anyone if Derby didn't reach the playoffs, uh, I don't think. Um, and let's move on to Fulham to Cardiff now. Um, Cardiff losing two games in four days. Fair to say they haven't coped that well with being the hunted rather than the hunters. They're still in sixth, but it's just one point. Between them and Swansea, two points between them and Preston and Millwall, three points between them and Derby and Bristol City, four above Blackburn, so still plenty to play for here. And George, I have to apologise, I'm still not okay. entirely sure how to analyse this Fulham side and this Fulham side's four-game winning streak specifically, but this is a fantastic win for them on Friday night.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a massive win, it was a big win for them and... Um i kind of agree with you where i i spoke to someone who's over the um over the weekend who is a a bit of a part-time film fan let's say <laughs> somebody who um supports another team in the in, in the uk where he's from and, and lives nearby and he he said he was like scott parker's done a great job hasn't he and i was just like oh, i don't you know I, I i don't think so and he was like why like, look look where they are you know they're coming forth, They were terrible in the Premier League last season, taking no time to turn them around. And I was like, ah, yeah, mm. I just think other people... It's very hard to be effusive with your praise of Fulham because whenever you watch them, that doesn't feel like there's very much to praise. Mm. But as I said, you know, five minutes ago, they've won now four games in a row. They've bounced back from a, a really humbling defeat against Leeds. They've given themselves another chance to possibly even get automatic promotion. Like, who are we to sit here waxing lyrical about Brentford the whole time when you've got Fulham, who are two points behind yeah, them? Yeah. Um, I don't think there's necessarily much in terms of um, tactical nous,
0: attacking-wise, to... It doesn't feel like the tactics make the difference, No, it? but
1: then at the same time, they are defensively, yeah, in the most part, incredibly solid. That's and true. whenever I watch them, I do feel like that normally comes down to an ability to control possession, which is, you know, around the back with doy Reem and uh, Hector obviously being very comfortable and capable on the ball. And then an individual defensive effort, especially from Hector, where he just stands, you know, he, he's somebody who, you have to be a very, very good championship striker, I would say, to get the better of him yeah. over, over 90 minutes. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of them. I don't rate them particularly highly, but I definitely think they have enough about them to, to cause best problems some problems tomorrow. And we have to give them credit. As I say, they were one nil down against QPR at a time four games ago where a loss in that game would have really brought them back into the race, you know, just for the top six mm. and loan automatic promotion. And since then, they've won four games and not conceded a goal. So massive fair play.
0: I feel like the memory of jakanovic is Fulham so recently, two years ago, does not help. No, Scott I completely agree. It doesn't help him when we are providing analysis. Yeah, it doesn't help him when Sky Sports are providing analysis, and it certainly doesn't help him when the fans are thinking about his regime and the style of play. It's 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 something he could certainly do without, and I think it's kind of interesting. Um, that is a really interesting topic. Relegated teams in general. Mm. I don't know if you saw, but I tweeted on the weekend. I think we need to do a special pod over the summer maybe when in the gap between games. It's the summer now. That's sort of, that's true. Uh, in the gap between games, in the off season. Uh, I think we should do a special pod just trying our best to sift through the last four or five years of relegated sides. Yeah. It's only Newcastle, isn't it? Who have gone straight back up automatically. And there's so much interesting stuff to go through and try and work out why when you are given such a financial leg up with the parachute payments why teams cannot hack it i mean it it sprung up in my mind because of huddersfield's loss against luton and everyone was talking about how huddersfield might get a a double relegation and why that happens obviously stoke are a big part of that conversation sunderland went down twice in a row Mm. we're going to look at that more in depth that that got over 100 likes george so people are very keen very keen did you get one of those
1: notifications from like 100 fav bot Saying congratulations on no, your 100 likes. I did not get that.
0: Uh, lastly, another Fake shout-out for Harrison Reid, who's been one of the league's best players since the restart. And a, a rare highlight this season for Steph Johansson, who I used to love and now have really right gone, really gone <laughs> the other way on. Um, uh, but he played a beautiful little reverse pass into Onoma for that goal. Um, Cardiff need to buck their ideas up against Derby in midweek, that's for sure. Um, they are, as I said, the hunted rather than the hunters. Just on the theme, George, of, of relegated teams... Um, we don't know for certain how many of the current championship teams will be in the champ next season because so many of them are still fighting against relegation or for promotion. We do know that Norwich will be in the championship next season. Yes, because they got relegated from the Premier League. Quite big news. It is big news. I,
1: I, I, are we surprised to have them back so soon? Probably a little bit. You, you I know you dug out our our tifo. Um, chat at the beginning of the season about the promoted teams and I have a feeling that I didn't get my analysis quite as as spot, spot on as you did.
0: Well, I just picked one minute clip that made me look really <laughs> clever and very prescient when it came to Sheffield United. But I remember that chat George we we had this we have this conundrum each summer where we are always positive about the three teams that go up to the Premier League because they're the three best teams in the division that we club cover closely. Yeah. And there's all that's a promotion campaign is full of positives. But we then have to temper it with what it means moving up to the Premier League and what teams have to change or not and how you can do everything right and you can still be relegated because it's an unbelievably tough division to stay in.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think the interesting thing, with, if, you, if you compare Norwich and Villa, we assume that Villa are probably going to be joining Norwich coming down as well. It's not definite, but it's looking fairly likely. Their attitudes to their promotions were very different For Villa, it was, right, that's got to be the last time that happens. We need to establish ourselves very, very quickly here as a Premier League side. For Norwich, it was like, ah, right, we won the league. That was quite unexpected six months ago, seven months ago. It's not the be-all and end-all. Let's carry on going as we're going. Let's make our our sellable assets more valuable and see how we go. And I think that is the key to this. Um, I personally, looking at Norwich, and I know we're going to talk about a piece in Athletic in a second, I find it very difficult not to criticise Daniel Farker. Despite him doing a fantastic job last season, I do kind of feel like he has done a fantastic job for about seven months of three years at Carrow Road. Um, and you look at this Norwich team now, and for all of the plaudits they've got for a time, playing some decent football. And I'm now not even convinced the football is particularly good at the moment it's you look at the team now i would say that probably i know that i mean we might as well talk about the piece now
0: yeah project rebound norwich are officially down so what happens next is by michael bailey who as as uh sort of specific club writers go is right yeah. up there in our opinion. That's absolutely fair to say. And his coverage of the promotion last season was brilliant. We met him in the EFL Awards. He's a magnificent writer. He covers Norwich for the athletics. so we haven't been able to speak much about his writing this no. year. But it's a hell of a piece. And, and, and if you don't know what's happened with Norwich this season, because like us, you more you more focus on the EFL. Give it a uh, give it a go to to get a lot of info about what's gone wrong and what might happen next.
1: And Michael says in the piece that the the plan for Norwich is to sell ideally three players. Now, I would be very surprised if they only sell three players. I mean, he mentions as well that the speculation around certain players is quieter than you think. But I am fairly sure that, I mean, certainly Cantwell, Buendia and Godfrey will surely move on. Mm -hmm. And I have no doubt in my mind that they are three players with Premier League quality. I'd be very surprised if Aarons doesn't come under, despite not having a particularly good season necessarily, I'd be surprised if Aarons doesn't come under... Some interest, I think Jamal Lewis, despite not having a great season, will still come under some interest as well. I think that even though, I think probably the club would be fairly keen to cash in on Puki to an extent, given how sparingly he's been used and the fact that he would probably still command a fairly big fee for what is quite an old player with Adam Ida coming through. And I think that Ida is probably a better option for them next season. So you've got a team, half of which I would think might be playing in the Premier League still next season. Like, how can you be that poor? Like, how can you just not over the course of a season work out a way to to be a bit better? And I know that, you know, for, for Norwich, the promotion itself was fairly, not surprising, but it wasn't, the plan wasn't to get promoted as soon as they have done. Stuart Weber, the you know the head of football operations, has said in the past that whilst eventually they do want to establish themselves as a Premier League side, they want to do it the right way, sustainably. It doesn't have to be after the first promotion. They they can kind of yo-yo for a bit whilst they're they're doing things the right way. So, I mean, I I find it difficult to work out if if you can absolve Farquhar of blame. But what what's clear from Michael's piece is that absolutely no no matter what the fans say no matter what you know us sitting here chatting are saying <laughs> um, The um there's a line where, where they mentioned that the Norwich hierarchy are more concerned about Farker being poached than they are about having to sack him so we're certainly going to be seeing him there next season if he's happy to stay it's going to be really interesting to see because their, their recruitment this summer just gone or sorry the, or last summer I should say was very very poor the players they brought in um, such as Leitner, Tribal, these guys, as Michael mentions in the piece, who were brought in and did so well in getting large promotion, they've largely been cast aside now. Mm. So, I mean, it's it's a big, big summer for them. I, I don't necessarily think, despite being a huge fan of Weber, I, I, I struggle to see, unless they keep the majority of those players I mentioned, how they're going to be mounting a challenge again next season.
0: The piece goes into a lot of detail into what, I would suggest is a very level-headed response to a relegation from the Premier League. I don't necessarily sit here and say that's a very, very good thing. I happen to think that it's a it's a good way to run the club for a five and ten year stretch. Um, but Stuart Webber might not be there for... for for much longer i think mm-hmm. he's got one more year on his contract and i believe he has spoken about the fact that he will certainly look for a new challenge there so um it's going to be fascinating to see how this level-headed approach works and certainly when we delve into the last five years when we do that special Premier League relegation um, uh, podcast in the next month or so Um, we'll certainly look at at the various ways that that teams approach it because level-headed is not a word that you can use mostly. Um, Lots of good detail in that Michael Bailey piece Um, uh, between 30% and 50% wage reductions built into all the players' contracts, mostly towards that 30% some of them fifty percent. That's um, that's good planning. That's certainly for sure. There are plenty of clubs who have been relegated without those sorts of uh, of wage redu- reductions in place, and you know it might not it might not be great for the motivation of some of those players, but it's certainly good for the finances of the club. Uh, and last time Norwich came down, they certainly did not make the right calls. Uh, they had the highest ever wage bill, I believe, in the Championship at the time. Possibly still stands. Uh, and they really sort of sacked it in that season. So fascinating to see how Norwich do. Uh, do sign up to The Athletic if you haven't already. Uh, so much good stuff on there. Not least this Michael Bailey piece, theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. Please do uh, give that a go. You'll get a seven day free trial at that link. You'll also get 50% off your subscription. So it's 2 quid 50 a month uh, for 12 months. And clearly... Um, we would recommend that uh, and that Michael Bailey piece especially to, to keep you up to date with Norwich as they rejoin us on the pod next season. Um, Preston won, Forrest won, George. I mean, even the Sunday scouting reports we got sent on Twitter said that th- there wasn't a huge amount to say about this one. There was a penalty early on for Forrest that looked really soft on camera one, to use the technical term, that the main camera that that, that you see during live games And then on one or two of the reverse angles, the replays showed that it it did look a little more of a pen. So not hugely controversial, I wouldn't say. The only other note I had really from this game, because it petered out after Preston's equaliser, was that Potts and Stockley, who have both been maligned as part of Preston's sort of bench squad, uh, which which gets accused of not being good enough, um, they both had combined well for another goal which they did in midweek uh, in their great win there so um, Preston won Forrest one uh, still a lot of work to do for Preston if they're to get back into the playoffs seems unlikely at this stage but you never know uh, and Forrest well they are just tooling up for the playoffs and we've said previously how their style might lend itself to playoff football so looking forward to seeing who they play looks likely to be Fulham at this stage at George who else let's go to Hull nil Millwall one. I mean, two things seem to be true here. One, Hull were pretty desperate and all over the show, by all accounts. At the same time, it took an absolute worldie to beat them. That doesn't necessarily mean Millwall were all that, but what a hit from Ryan Leonard. Yeah, unbelievable
1: goal. Quite a good way to start a game after just a minute. Um, Yeah, really impressive. I mean, the difficulty here, we often talk about game game state and for Hull to be 1-0 down at home after two minutes, and then to fashion as little as they did is is a bit of a tr- a, a bit of a difficulty yeah. here, um, because you know you've got eighty eight minutes there to try and uh, get past a side who is effectively sitting on a lead. Um, but as you mentioned, it was a, a goal worthy to win any game. Um, but you have to really fear for Hull now, and they go to Wigan tomorrow. Wigan have let's let's not forget despite everything going off the pitch, Wigan have kept nine clean sheets in their last 10 games. Astonishing. And Hull, uh, despite not being quite as shot shy as they were a few weeks ago, and not looking like a particularly good team. Are you
0: saying Hull are nailed on to lose against Wigan?
1: I think Hull are... um, If I was a Hull fan, I'd be pretty negative at the moment of our chances of staying up.
0: Well, I think they are. So that's good that that we're reflecting what the fans are thinking. Um, My only note on Millwall, particularly here, was that especially compared to that game in midweek I watched um, where they were defeated by Borough, they were a little better uh, in open play. That's been a bit desperate recently, the, the lack of ability to create chances uh, from open play, whether they've got Bradshaw or Smith up top and they play differently with either of them. Um, they were much better here, certainly in the first half. Leonard had another really good chance. It could have been 2-0, it probably could have been more. Uh, and I think Mason Bennett makes a difference to the Millwall side. Not Not always a player that I was particularly fond of uh, in a Derby shirt, to be honest. I'm not sure that uh, as a wide forward or a winger, as he is, um, or even as a striker through the middle, certainly he has the technical ability uh, in the final third to be a dependable goal scorer. Certainly, for me, not a dependable creative player. But what he has offered uh, and has really helped Millwall in this sense uh, is great intensity, great energy um and uh, you know he's very direct and there are times in the final third where mill will really need someone like him um they certainly are not stacked with brilliant uh, attacking players jed wallace has had a magnificent season it's been a bit quieter over the last few weeks i think it's fair to say so bennett's introduction here seemed to make a a difference and leonard as well who came in uh, and scored that magnificent goal middlesbrough one bristol city three george dean holden is two from two how about that big old new manager bounce, eh? It helps when you've got a player like Jamie Patterson, who it turns out is Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> well done. Have you not
1: made that on the podcast before?
0: No, but I tweeted it. Nice. I tweeted okay. it. I'm just I'm just regurgitating my own tweets. Uh, to recap,
1: it, it's all your own intellectual property. So to that's recap, fine. in midweek,
0: Patterson, magnificent assist for Jeju, magnificent free kick, wins them the game two one. This time round. Uh, magnificent goal on the counter-attack think he got an assist as well uh, it was all about Naki Wells uh, and Jamie Patterson for Dean Holden good, so good far. to
1: see you getting embroiled in, in a, a goal scorer XG chat around Naki Wells yeah a bit of a, a, a role switch
0: well I'm going to touch on that but I just wanted to know if you had any extra thoughts on the game and on Dean Holden being um, Pep Guardiola
1: um, concerns obviously for, for Barra again the West Country Pep um, Borough seemed to really not like playing at the Riverside whether it's oh, whether yeah. it's full or empty really grim um, so they'll be happy that they've got an away trip next up um, but I don't really have much to say except I just kind of feel a little bit sorry for Lee Johnson because it must be quite rubbish for him sitting at home watching the team that he couldn't get a tune out of suddenly turning up I know that Bristol City fans who wanted him gone probably will hear that and be like well you know he was part of the problem And, and he also that, loaned out Jamie
0: Patton at know, the start of the season I know
1: um, yeah, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, you know, it doesn't reflect particularly well on him. And again, Bristol City, aside who I would have told you a couple of weeks ago, were, would have been on the beach if they could have been, um, and now have a, a real chance of getting themselves into the playoffs. Yeah. Who would have thought that? Who wow. would have thunk it?
0: They've been heavily reliant, as I say, on, on Patson. And on the weekend, it was it was Naki Wells who opened the scoring with a magnificent goal hooking it in with his left foot from like 25 yards into the top corner uh, it was also a hat-trick of assists for Viman. so when I said that Patterson got an assist that was a lie um, a really impressive performance from Vyman uh, and then Patterson as well was was magnificent yet yeah, just to touch on Naki Wales I, I did mention that his conversion rate this season has been sensational um, firstly at QPR I think he was scoring with every, one in three shots uh, where for reference uh, Watkins is about one in five Mitro is one in six uh, and then at Bristol City it's not been quite as good but it's still around the one in four mark uh, he's got the best conversion rate of any striker in the championship this season although I think Jamie Patterson's is actually better um, and yeah we would it, it, it provoked a discussion on Twitter about, um, about finishing ability and how sustainable that sort of finishing is because it's very rare that those conversion rates um, continue over a long period his uh, 18 goals this season in the league have come from 11.3 expected goals and i wanted to make clear that my first notion, my first thought when i see that is not negative it's not oh that can't be sustained and he's he's really lucky the first thought is to praise what's been a season of unbelievable finishing that is that's what football's all about that's what can make the difference for a team and that's what certainly did make the difference for QPR uh, in the first half of the season and on games like the weekend has been huge for Bristol City uh, in a game that, that they could have drawn otherwise. What it also tends to mean is that probably can't expect the exact same from him next season. So he might be making a rod for his own back it, to an extent with Bristol City fans or, or anyone following this league who might expect him to do the same last season where in reality, if he gets the same quality of chances over the over the season it's unlikely they'd score the same amount of goals someone did say well is it possible that he's an above average finisher and therefore can consistently run above XG there's tons of writing about this from people much cleverer than me who have gone back through years and years of data the answer is to a certain extent but it's unlikely to the extent that he's overperforming. So, so uh, to, to illustrate this is he an elite finisher at this level does he overdo his XG all the time his last three seasons at this level, 17 goals from 17.8 expected, 10 goals from 10.8 expected, eight goals from 11 and a half goals expected. So this is uh, the first time he's ever been quite this good at finishing. Do you develop an elite finishing ability at 29? Probably not, but we'll see. Um, and yeah, only other thing to say is that, as you touched on there, Middlesbrough, like a lot of teams around him, they... They, they probably need another win or two it's fair to say and at times when you watch them it seems hard to see where it's going to come from they did beat Millwall in midweek they were given a helping hand I think it's fair to say um, in that game QPR nil Sheffield Wednesday three we still don't know about Sheffield Wednesday's points deduction George well yeah there seemed a bit of <clears throat> people were saying that on the weekend the extent to which they were trying in this game seemed to hint that they might be a little bit concerned. And I think we're going to hear about it fairly soon.
1: Yeah, I think, interestingly, looking at the betting markets, I mean, these are by no means um, kind of foolproof. But I, I texted you on Saturday night to say that I had a quick look on on betfair um for those people who don't know what that is it's kind of like a peer to peer betting service so you put up what you want and, and at what price and people can choose if they take it or not so it's not it's not bookie driven um you know there isn't someone in office deciding the price and sorry for the um, betfair for dummies for those people who know exactly what it is but just in case people don't um or you under 18s over there I'm sure but um and Sheffield Wednesday their their last price matched. so the last price they were backed at for relegation on Saturday night was 4 to 1 um, which is quite clearly not, yeah, the representative of so their
0: actual- being 14th on 55. Um, well, with them- the teams in the relegation zone, ten points behind, it would never be that. Would they're, it? They're mathem- it would
1: be- well, mathematically, they they can't get relegated. Yeah, there you go, with, without a points deduction. <laughs> right. So, and looking at it now, I mean, the last price match now is seven to one, and there is there's somebody trying to have a couple of quid at, at that price. Now, there's someone trying to have a, a, a few quid at kind of. Nine
0: to one two, so could be people just trying to get ahead when they don't have any inside info, but could also be yeah
1: I'd say it's fairly my guess would be that the market, whether it's the relegation market, I think they were they were very well backed against QPR as well on Saturday, which might suggest that someone thought that the um you know the need for a good performance was slightly more than for a dead rubber. It's just interesting that it seems to me there are people out there. I mean this isn't for very much money it's not like there's thousands queuing up to back them um but it, it strikes me that somebody thinks that they might still be in a bit of trouble here um yeah so it's it's one to one to keep an eye on I would say
0: well we don't know what the level of of points deduction would be if they are to be um to be found guilty I guess uh, from this independent commission um but it's fair to say they were very good here and <laughs> I realise that the last few times we've spoken about Sheffield Wednesday, we've said, well, they started that game really well and they were the better side in the first half and then they collapsed in the second half, which doesn't speak to a particularly good mentality. Well, here, they were good in the first half, they were the better side in the first half and they found themselves 2-0 up at half-time with two goals from set pieces, first from Iorfa, second from Windass. And I just wanted to maybe suggest that if we go back and, and think about those conversations we had and the performances they had maybe you give a little bit more credit to Monk Gary Monk that is in uh, in hindsight if he's setting up his team and they're coming out strong and the system is working well for let's say the first 45 minutes of games and then they're collapsing um, I, I think maybe, maybe a bit more credit needs to go to his preparation and the way he's setting up this team now to what extent you blame him for his side's weak mentality in those games and for crumbling uh, is kind of well that's kind of subjective how much you think a manager can impact um, the, the, the mentality of his players you know while they're out there on the pitch and, and he can only say so much to them um, but this game as you said could have been something of a dead rubber might look like a dead rubber if nothing happens at Sheffield Wednesday but let's have a quick check in on the record of teams George post-COVID who we thought at the time that we returned were more or less not going to make the playoffs no real threat of relegation um, Reading were one of those teams. They've played six, won two, drawn two, lost two. QPR played six, won one, drawn none, lost five. Birmingham played six, won none, drawn two, lost four. And Sheffield Wednesday, probably the other one, um, played six, won two, drawn one, lost three. So those four teams who we considered to maybe lack the motivation of others, 24 games, they've lost 14 of 24 one five and drawn five. So th- those are the clubs whose fans are just like, what was the point? Um, and that's, uh, that's been quite tough. Um, lovely little goal from Jacob Murphy in this one. The third, always been a scorer of great goals. But yeah, I think negative QPR vibes, potentially more mm. than positive Sheffield Wednesday vibes here. To, to, to not be up for defending set pieces, that's not going to work if you want to win matches at this level. And it's a sign of a team that doesn't have a huge amount to play for and is, is lacking motivation. And given how much we love a Berriese... I'm just going to say one sentence. I thought this might be a magical farewell to this level where he shows himself to be head and shoulders above everyone. And no doubt that there have been some good performances, even despite QPR's poor record. But that hasn't happened. And that's a uh, that's a bit of a shame.
1: It's frustrating because you'd think he'd have enough... Well, I think he has enough about him to um, impact games alone, but he's struggling to do so. Um, but it's not changing my mind about him
0: hey george uh, in the relegation hey, battle I. it was a big weekend <laughs> as it tends to be at this stage of the season and it was almost the perfect weekend for luton who beat huddersfield 2-0 on friday night because charlton lost and barnsley and wigan drew we're going to touch on those games in a second it only wasn't the perfect weekend because stoke also won uh, they beat birmingham 2-0 but um another good away performance from Luton Town under Nathan Jones. If they can sort out some home form, the next three games are going to be pretty interesting.
1: Nathan Jones, manager of the year. <laughs> Jesus.
0: He left Stoke, uh, as if we need to remember, on eight points from <coughs> 15 football matches.
1: Manager of the calendar year. Uh, yeah, just full of admiration for, for what they're doing, um, for what he's done at Luton so far. I can't... It's It's just such a funny... Um, Position for them to be in just having this manager return with the fans unable to go and see or make their feelings known at the time and now he is just doing a remarkable job in, um, in, in trying to keep them up I mean this was a massive game against the Huddersfield side who had hit some form had taken five points from their last three not conceding a single goal and they just did a job on them where they sat deep early on soaked up pressure and then were able to score from a set piece. And then and then another one as Huddersfield came onto them. Um, it was a game of few chances. They scored with their only two shots on target. Um, I, I think if we extended the season for, for much longer, things would have to change because they are slightly living on the edge here with the way they're winning games. But um, Jones has certainly got a a response out of this side that the other Jones couldn't. And I, yeah, I think they've got every chance, you know, with Wigan's deduction coming and the uncertainty around Sheffield Wednesday, and Hull being very poor and Charlton's form suffering. Things have couldn't really and you know Barnsley now looking effectively like they are destined pretty soon to be confirmed for the drop, things couldn't really have gone better for them.
0: On the flip side <laughs> pretty tough weekend for Huddersfield, or at least a tough start to the weekend, because this was the Friday night game, or one of two. And the manner of the defeat and the performance was one that sparked a lot of anger. I think it's fair to say one Huddersfield fan who's a great friend of the pod uh, sent us a message to say, spineless, gutless, leaderless. If we don't go down, we deserve to. Uh, Luton showed fight character and capitalised on our mistakes, bullied our team who looked mentally weak. We were paralysed with fear in a stadium without fans to make them fearful. Um, and to be fair, even Ollie Walker, the Luton fan who I've been checking in with during this quite stressful time for him being part of a relegation battle did make it you know he, he certainly wasn't um, raising the roof with his celebrations a dire first half which Huddersfield edged uh, Luton couldn't even get a shot off there was no quality and obviously having taken the, the lead early through a set play it was just a case of holding on from there Elliot Lee who is one of a few players who have been sort of reinvigorated by Nathan Jones, brought back into the fold. It was a lovely finish to make it 2-0. Um, but Ollie did say, it's not even like we were that good. I'd probably give a 7 out of 10 for the work ethic and getting the job done. But Huddersfield really didn't force anything of us. Uh, so it kind of feels more of a negative from a Huddersfield perspective. The good thing for them is, as we talk, they're still two points clear of the relegation zone. That's not uh, including Wiggins' potential 12-point deduction. It's very possible that this Wigan side will stay up almost in spite of themselves. And we'll probably be able to say that about two or three clubs. Um, But the big question heading into the summer, if they do, will be to what extent has the club been rotten by the experience of relegation? And that leads us on very nicely to this special bonus pod we're going to do in a month's time. So there you go. Lots Lots to think about from a Huddersfield perspective. Stoke got a good win, George. You'd say exceptionally unlikely that they go down now. Um, they're on 49 points. They're 17th. There are four clubs between themselves in the relegation zone. Birmingham, who they beat, Middlesbrough, Huddersfield and Charlton. And then, obviously, those teams in there as well. So, they're looking they're looking good. Do and you, Do Birmingham get another point this season? Possibly not.
1: Do they stay up if they don't?
0: Probably. Cool. What do you think?
1: I think they might not get another point either. Um, and I think they might go down if they don't. But... Yeah, it's hard. You need, you'd need basically Luton and Wigan just to, to win in, effectively.
0: Yeah, or Hull. <laughs> Not going to happen. <laughs> um, we, we've kind of touched on what a ridiculous few weeks this has been for Birmingham and how frustrating to end a season like this for their fans. Um, the good thing from their perspective, assuming they don't go down, which is dangerous to do, is that they don't have a manager at the moment. And therefore, if you subscribe to the view that the appointment of managers and the importance of managers is is pretty intrinsically tied to how well a club does, then it's possible that they could make a very good appointment and uh, things could look much more rosy in a month's time as we get ready to return for the 2021 season. But there's very little to be positive about at the moment, that's for sure. Uh, and their performance at Stoke was pretty embarrassing. Um, but it's worth giving some credit <clears throat> to Michael O'Neill, again, to repeat that they had eight points from 15 games. Yeah, And now they have 49 points from 43 games. Um,
1: Are we going to be sitting here in September doing our 1-24 to 24 pods, putting Stoke in at 4th, <laughs> and suddenly, 10 games in, Michael O'Neill's been sacked, they're in 20th, there's a culture of the club that no manager can fix. I don't know, because
0: it's not all positive, let's no, be clear. it's not. They got it's, it's the win this weekend. I mean, but
1: Their performance against Leeds in the second half is one of the worst I've seen all season.
0: They seem to fluctuate a lot yeah. between real lows and sort of highs I reckon
1: we're going to see a big old churn at that club in the summer I mean Another I know it's happened before but <laughs> yeah I mean they need to um, well I, that, I the, the lad who oversees
0: their recruitment I think he's called Tony Scholes he's uh, he's someone that probably has quite a big summer ahead of him if he wants to avoid even bigger <laughs> scrutiny than he's already been under
1: Tony Scholes needs to get a player who scores goals nice um, yeah I just realised that my three bets for relegation a couple at the beginning of the season and one a couple of weeks in Charlton Luton and Wigan and I've kind of always assumed that I would probably get at least one up probably two up maybe even three up and it's just dawned on me that there's a fair chance none of them go down which would be fairly remarkable
0: well I watched the Charlton Reading game on the weekend it was 1-0 to Reading Uh, this is one of those results which it doesn't look like a particularly entertaining game on paper and you'd say it didn't necessarily mean anything huge for either club Charlton would have been safe with a win now they're Pretty stressed, I think it's fair to say, just one point above Hull at the moment. But I really enjoyed it. It was it was an entertaining game. There was a lot that happened, despite the fact it was one 0 uh, to Reading, or at least there was a lot that happened in the first half because Reading went ahead. Really nice move. Swift was magnificent. He just has so much confidence now uh, this season. He's really made the leap uh, to being one of the 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 best creators in the division, playing for a team that doesn't create very much. he was magnificent. He played Rinomota in. He was brought down. It was 1-0. Pushka scored. And then both teams had a pretty good go for about half an hour. Um, and once Reading went in at half-time, won it up, they just kind of stopped playing. Now, I'm interested in the in the Reading conundrum at the moment at, at the moment, and the Mark Bowen conundrum because a lot of the fans miserable at this performance, even though they won, because there was so little intent in the second half. They basically said to their fans we're going to make this really nervy. But they did come out of it with the win and they've done that quite a lot under Bowen. I think they're a playoff team in terms of points since he took charge, which is crazy. Yeah. And yet the style is is proving problematic for a lot of fans. Um, the positives for them were the centre-back pairing, Morrison, who's obviously a veteran defender at this level, who was brilliant, and McIntyre, who's from the academy, Tom McIntyre, left-footed centre-back, who was fantastic. Charlton had... A lot of opportunities to cross, which they did. And those two headed every single one away, more or less. Um, but Charlton are just missing so many chances. And Lee Boyer was really strong after the game. I, I was surprised. It's kind of risky with three games to go and, and maybe players low on confidence. He, he was very strong on a poor refereeing performance, which it was. And let's be clear, Charlton, had the referee been better, would not have lost this game. But he also was strong with his players. You know, Macaulay Bond has to score three yards out, connect properly with the ball and score. It's not good enough. He said, we're having good chances from three, four, five, six yards out and not scoring. I hope someone steps up and starts scoring his goals. He also took off Albie Morgan at halftime and said this wasn't part of the plan, but Albie let the man run past him that he should have tracked and it led to the penalty. So strong words from Lee Bowyer. There's so much pressure. Off the field at that club, anyway. It's, it, you've got to be sympathetic to him, but it, it was bold, I thought.
1: My concern with Charlton is around the speculation with Lee Bowyer possibly moving to Birmingham.
0: Bowyer to Birmingham.
1: Odds on favourite. Yeah. Uh, Ro- Robbie Fowler, second favourite. I think that the the, uh, the hierarchy at Birmingham going through Leeds' 0 0102 squad. Uh, right. Lucas Radaby next up, uh, Michael Bridges, Eric Backer, um, Alan Smith bringing up the rear. But it's. Um, yeah, it's it's coming at the worst time possible. And, you know, Lee Bowie has done a fantastic job at Charlton, whether they stay up or go down this season. Um, but I, And despite his personal ties to the club, it feels to me like it would be a job he would struggle to turn down at Birmingham because the ambitions... We don't know the ambitions of the new ownership at Charlton necessarily, well, but there's been...
0: The ambitions of Birmingham owners, they are called the Trillion Trophy company the there you go and trophy group so yeah. that's a lot of ambition it is a
1: lot of ambition and it's a club you know he he was asked about the speculation and he said that you know he, he didn't know anything about it and he wouldn't be commenting on it and he was only focused on on uh, on what was going on till the end of the season but then he did say he was like you know i'm not surprised to be linked to it because i had a great time as a player there the last success they had he said the last success they had as, as a team is when i was there as a player mm. so it makes sense i'll be linked to it and that is alarm bells in my opinion that he is kind of harking back to a time where he was manager he was a player at the club and that is not what the club needs I mean I, I have no idea if it's impacting them as you say Their their performance probably deserved more than they got on the weekend um, but given all the work you know good work that's gone in there um, and so much of that has to go down to the hard work that Bowie has put in it would not be ideal given the, what's at stake here with three games to go with them just outside the relegation zone to have a manager who who might be looking ahead to next season at a different club.
0: Absolutely. And the existential question for Reading at the moment, which I touched on, bow and ball, doesn't make it easy for fans. It's definitely fair to say very tense stuff at times, especially when they go ahead and they just seem to stop bothering to attack. Um But, since his appointment, as I said, 48 points from 32 games, that is playoff, or at least playoff chasing form. People didn't like him getting the job having previously been sporting director. That's kind of understandable, but he is getting results at this stage. Now, I can't remember exactly at what point in Yapstam's regime or Jose Gomsch's regime, they stopped getting results, but both of them started fairly well as well. So, we will judge him next season, but it's a fascinating one for Reading fans. They've got some really young players, some bright young players who were on show on the weekend. Olise, Osho, the right back, had a good game or good first half, certainly. Rinomota, so energetic in midfield. And McIntyre, the the centre-back as well, was brilliant. I'm saying that the future could be bright, but I I don't... don't, I'm not going to say that it definitely will be because I'm still a little unclear as to whether this excellent form under bowen will translate to let's say a playoff push next season even though his results point to that so far and they also have to slash their wage bill it's been disgracefully high um and i'd like to see them trust this group of young players i don't know whether they will or not their recent history in the transfer market i don't think has been um reflective of a team that wants to trust a, a young group of players uh, the, the signings of aluko baldock even Pushkas and Jauz spring to mind. I, I don't think this club should be spending that amount of money on any individual players. Certainly not the amount they spent on on a Pushgas, for example. So I'm fascinated to see what the club does over the summer um, and how they how they go next year. They are safe now, so they will definitely be in the division next season. Them them and Norwich currently the only two <laughs> we can be sure of. Uh, and Barnsley nil, Wigan nil. From from a match perspective, there really isn't too much to say about this, apart from. Kilian Ludwig did a full on flip in the air having yeah, that been tackled bad, that tackle. having been tackled by Anthony Robinson That should have been a red card. It should have been a red card and it was genuinely terrifying. I was watching it live on uh, on Barnsley iFollow, follow and you know a different a different trajectory of flip I guess. Um could have seen something very nasty happen so I'm absolutely thrilled that he is okay and um that was very very unpleasant. It probably wasn't a very helpful result for either side. Barnsley's manager Gerhard Struber at the final whistle was basically hands on head hunched down to the ground looked really really despondent he by the looks of things doesn't think that they'll be staying up and uh, we will certainly do a post-mortem if Barnsley do go down I still I still think there's a bit of hope I still think there's a bit of hope I mean it's only Leeds United they play in midweek Um, but it could be the end for Barnsley and we'll make sure that we give that a good review because I think well, I've certainly got a lot to say on the matter uh, and I will save that for another time. We've just gone over the hour mark. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I I, I just thank you for staying with us really at this time because there's a lot of pods, there's a lot of matches. There's not a huge amount of time to uh, think about them, to record them, to upload them and then for you guys to listen to them. So if you're listening to them fresh out the oven, if you will, then, uh, then thank you because it makes a big difference to us. And if you have enjoyed this pod, please do share. Tweet us at NTT20pod if you have anything to say. As for us, we're off to play golf to try and calm George's nerves, although not a particularly calm golfer, George Ellick, to let you in on a secret. Calm with the new, I'd say. See how we go. Uh, and we'll be the watching. Clubs really go flying. So. We'll be watching the game uh, tonight, the League One playoff final. Make sure you do too. Oxford against Wickham. We will review it with a bonus pod. I promise. I don't really promise. I can't. I cannot promise anything uh, tomorrow, Tuesday. Uh, and go well until then. Bye.